0: Welcome back to the Ball and Breakfast podcast. I'm Patrick Miller alongside Wayne Pua, here for another rendition, bringing you in on some updates, uh, you know, around the NBA, MLB, NFL, as well as uh, reviewing a couple documentaries we've watched recently on Netflix. Uh, We'll give you our takes. We want to hear yours, too, so keep up with us on social media. Um, You can drop any thoughts on Instagram in our profile, at Ball and Breakfast. You can go to YouTube. You know, comment on this video directly. You know, subscribe, like anything else is always helpful. And if you're listening to us on our podcast channels on Spotify, Apple, Google, etc., um, Anchor, you know, subscribe there. You know, chat with us in any way, any any sort of format. And uh, you know, we're always happy to kind of mix it up with you guys too. So, uh, you know, before we get started, um, I actually had the weirdest thing happen to me walking out of work today. Um, I work downtown in DC, um, right, right outside of a a pretty notable federal government building and it was pouring today. So I was kind of in a hurry, uh, had my umbrella with me and everything like that getting soaked. And, uh, Wayne, you'll never guess who I ran into professional athlete. Uh, (laughs) maybe, maybe one of the most controversial athletes right now, uh, in sports. (laughs) I mean, maybe not this second, but this year, uh, could be on a on a short list but uh if you can think of an off-the-wall character um you know somebody who's kind of in some some trouble right now um fire fire a name away and i'll continue on like finishing up this story on trouble
1: right now uh in the dc <laughs> metropolitan area wow i don't know this this just just tell me man who is it who is that
0: I swear to God, I did a triple take and I looked next to him and his uh he was with a it was with a girl. Uh and the you know, guy was about like six three, six, four. Um, you know, I just kind of looked over. He was he was going on a jog uh with this girl, but uh it was Trevor Bauer. I, I, sw- I swear <laughs> on all things, Trevor Bauer was in DC today. I actually haven't followed up on Google. I'm going to okay. in a second just to see like what connections he has there because I know he's from California and obviously he's with the Dodgers. He was you know, obviously in a lot of trouble this last year, especially with, uh, you know, women uh, overall and, you know, his uh, his outlook and, you know, his actions around him. So uh, I, I was kind of floored. Uh, part of me was just like, I would just love to get like a spy photo or even just like ask him for a photo just for my own, like, humor and laugh i mean obviously i probably wouldn't be posting that um but in the same sense just to have like a good laugh but i was uh yeah i just i was laughing to myself kind of also an hustle, but uh i swear on all things this guy it was trevor bauer i i confirm with my eyes and my recall with players and stuff but uh, we got to figure out what happened here. So yeah, um, I was
1: just, yeah. Is he maybe yeah. is he trying to get a deal going on? Is he you know maybe next year he's going to be with the the Nats or something like that, or maybe he's got like a you know an endorsement deal? Or yeah, you ought to hit him up. See so like, hey, can I get a subscribe or whatever, a follow? <laughs> That'd be kind of cool. A uh, little shout out from Trevor Barr, although I feel like we might lose you know some of our fans here. So yeah, um, I, yeah. yeah,
0: I don't know. I mean, maybe he was in like dc federal courts to 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 appeal some of the stuff that he's going through like i had no idea i was like looking all around why would he be outside of you know the white house in that park area and like yeah i mean i don't know of any other ties that he might have to dc but i'm gonna look it up but anyways that was my uh my funny moment of the day uh i just had a good laugh about it so um anyways we'll kick it off with uh some recent documentaries we've watched in sports uh Netflix uh, recently aired uh the An One documentary. Uh we can start there and go on to the next one after that. But Wayne, what did you what did you think of this documentary?
1: I just love how the biggest streetball brand in the world at one time uh was started by a bunch of NBA white guys from Morden. <laughs> I think that is hysterical. You know, when you think of An one, you don't think about like, you know, a bunch of people in suits or whatever and PowerPoint presentations and all that fun stuff. Uh, you know, you, you think of ballers, you think of the New York streets, you think of rocker in uh, hip hop and everything. You don't think about like you know the little cross boys and polos and stuff. So uh, I think that was pretty cool. Uh, I did not know about that. Um, I mean, it is pretty interesting how I think things progress, and I liked how the documentary walked through like. Uh, you know uh, the players relationships with the owners of Anwan one and kind of how they're like, yeah, we ought to have offered, we probably ought to have offered equity to them. I think the owners initially were thinking like, Oh, and then they said it themselves that they were just kind of employees of the company, but not necessarily owners. So, you know, that, that was something that, uh, you know, I think in today's modern day age uh, with employer with player empowerment and, you know, uh, 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 influencers if you will getting much more uh, uh getting much more i guess equity with regards to their business uh you know with jordan and and the jordan brand right you know kind of having their own shoe line essentially with regards to that like wouldn't it be cool if like the professor had his own shoe line or hot sauce right because those athletes honestly like became uh just as big at, for analytic right now like professor is Uh, a major YouTube and and social media star, even, I think he's like 40 some odd years old now. So, but, you know, he was, uh, he was featured or or shown at least uh, in Hustle, that Netflix movie with Adam Sandler. So, um, and a lot of his YouTube videos to this day have like millions of views and he keeps on posting them. So, you know, I think, you know, that, that, that might've been something that could have helped out with Anwan. Uh, really like seeing that what Vince Carter, like I didn't know about the whole Tai Chi's and everything that Vince Carter wore the Tai Chi's uh, in, during that 2000 slam dunk contest that he just killed it and, and like astronomically, uh, you know, put that, that shoe kind of out there. So, you know, I, I thought that all that was cool kind of figuring that out because, you know, when I, when I was a youngster and trying to figure out like this land one thing was like, I just thought it was cool. I just thought, you know, I remember watching that reality TV show and I thought it was the coolest thing ever. So, you know, uh, they really, uh, I think, catered to what was happening uh, during that time frame of, uh, you know, reality TV. Um, and then, yeah, getting uh, athletes, basketball athletes to kind of endorse or, or, or showcase the shoes, you know, being that influencer type of thing. You know, having uh, or giving away uh, those and one and one mixtapes for buying shoes like i think that was kind of a good thing uh, i guess it was a little cost or just an added benefit uh really kind of prolonging that brand that and one is and you know, i think that was a smart investment so really kind of cool just from the business standpoint of like understanding what they were all doing uh uh you know now it seems sounds like they're going through some struggles you know a lot of them are not there anymore the founders uh lost some uh top talent there and then yeah, that whole N1 team uh, kind of got discontinued. So, you know, it will be interesting. You know, what happens if they do? Uh, if N1 does respond to kind of that documentary with any kind of uh, promotion, or you know, working with some of the the you know those uh, N1 players uh, from back in the day. So, but yeah, those are my initial thoughts.
0: Yeah, no, they're all good ones. Um, I mean, at the end of the day, are we really surprised that you know three? three white guys from Harvard or the ones that it's like, yeah, go figure. You know, where were they from? Were they from Wharton actually? Um, yeah. Yeah. Wharton. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, but either way, it's kind of like, those are the guys who are, you know, building all the wealth off the backs of, you know, folks who are, you know, playing street ball out in New York, uh, you know, humble backgrounds and beginnings and such like that. And, you know, am I surprised they didn't get equity off the bat? No. Um, You know, another tragic case of, you know, just an athlete being monetized, you know, without, you know, necessarily maybe knowing all the business dynamics around, you know, their likeness, their names. I mean, I feel like Jalen Rose um, in his documentary about the University of Michigan, you know, these guys, you know, in the Fab Four, you know, became, uh, you know, just polarizing figures in college basketball. And, you know, as they're going to any sort of sports stores, they're seeing their jerseys you know, being sold with only their numbers on the backs and such. And it's like, hey, hey, we're not getting royalties for that. Like, why not? And, you know, it's just a huge issue, I guess, with athletes and, you know, their likeness. And now we're seeing, you know, changes with the NCAA, you know, professional sports a little bit, you know, a little bit different. But, you know, it's not to say that, uh, you know, the best NBA players on the court today, you know, are getting equity of the organizations they represent. So, um, you know, all those points are, you know definitely uh good ones to raise i i think growing up for me and one um you know i didn't have actually cable or the internet until um the end of 8th grade uh, early high school so i kind of missed out on you know watching a lot of the uh the mixed tape tour um you know watching the videos i don't think i ever got my hands on one of those vhs um tapes back in the day so you know miss that boat but i do remember and one Um, buying a bunch of different t-shirts with the yo mama jokes on the back, you know, it's kind of like, you know, I can, you know, my dunk is better than yours or tell your mom how great I am at dunking, whatever it is. It's just like, I always remember having like a few of those for, for basketball in middle school and stuff. And then those Tai Chi's were like the coolest shoes that, you know, I remember having, I feel like at least for basketball, um, I think I had the black and white ones, the black suede and white leather on the outside and stuff. I just felt like that was a really sharp look. I mean, I feel like, even if you were to buy those today, they'd probably still, you know, be timeless in a sense in in terms of the design and everything like that. So, um, you know, big appreciation for that. Um, you know, your point about Vince Carter is a pretty good one too, because, you know, he was under contract with Nike at the time too. So it's like how that flew, I have no idea, but just like, you know, how buried, uh, one got when, you know, Steph Marbury, you know, rolled, you know, broke his ankle through him, you know, through the n ones, uh, kind of kick off his endorsement deal with them and you know things like that it's just like how touchy these uh shoe brands and the agents and the athletes like really have to be with one another it's kind of crazy um and i think my biggest surprise overall like just watching you know the the rise and the fall of and one was just how one nike freestyle commercial uh really just like kicked its ass like it's just i mean and and, and you know we both grew up in that era we both definitely saw that commercial probably hundreds of times and like i definitely thought it was a cool commercial like i was like you know just had the beats it was kind of relevant for our time it was definitely uh piggybacking off the n1 movement so you know nike's always had like that cool factor and you know anything it touches really like turns to gold and it's just like oh you guys are doing all this street ball stuff you're like here's a 30 second commercial we put millions into with all (laughs) the athletes that matter, including Vince Carter. So it's just like, it's, uh, yeah, it's just crazy how that can work. And, uh, you know, for anyone not to be resilient in those times either, like just not being able to kind of evolve with the, with their brand and kind of like the competitive nature of, you know, apparel and footwear and stuff like that in that space. It's just, yeah, you could tell like there were some holes in the plan and, uh, you know, it seemed like their their biggest set of brains. Actually, you know, the guy who was kind of like basically the the workhorse for the entire you know company just kind of burnt out at a certain point. Once that linchpin, you know, that broken link, uh, you know, formed, it was it was kind of game over. So, uh, yeah, that that was my takeaway. But I had a great time watching that back.
1: Yeah, no, for sure. It's like it's like yeah, you can have all the MBAs. Uh... Uh, in the world, and the smartest people, like with degrees and stuff like that, to uh, help navigate whatever company you're working with. But yeah, you just got killed by a bunch of ad execs and Nike, whatever. So uh, probably like Weed and Kennedy out in Portland, I, I think, is usually uh, who who they work with, I believe. So, um, but yeah, you know that commercial was timeless. Like I still watch it to this day. I just think it's really cool. You know, I remember like Jay Will on there and everything as well. You know, we talked about him on this podcast. So. Uh, really, really liked Nike's response there, and yeah, like for shoes, like you know, de- Nike definitely just went like you know from just like n- those Nike shoes basically being used to play basketball to being streetwear, right? And I think that's where now they're a little bit more, you know, you-, you see people just wearing Nikes just walking, and even if they're basketball shoes, you know, you'll see <laughs> people wearing Steph Curry's not playing basketball at a at a basketball court, but just walking out and about, so you know, it's really kind of just evolved, uh, you know, since then. Um, But yeah, I, I agree with everything you said there. And, uh was, you know, shout out to like Skip to My Lou, uh, professor and yeah, hot sauce, you know, wish that, uh yeah, they could have gotten some equity there. But they seem to be doing pretty decent themselves at the moment. Uh, I know Skip to My Lou went to the NBA and had a pretty decent career there. So that's pretty cool there. But yeah, I think it was well done documentary. And brought a lot of good memories, I think, uh, about, Anne one, uh, and was it that street ball, uh, video game too, as well. So, yeah. Yeah. I guess one question I have
0: watching it and some of the, you know, biggest, uh, I guess plot points around the conflict that was, you know, these players, what they earned and stuff. Like I think the salaries from what I gathered were around $60,000 to like a hundred plus thousand dollars for like the main, the main, you know, uh, hoopers in their, in their group. But in terms of equity, what do you think, what do you think would have been fair pay for these guys or, you know, what kind of deal do you think they should have, you know, had, you know, proposed to them based on how big, you know, and one got in that time. Do you think what and one was did was completely unfair? Does it fall in the middle? Was it, you know, good for these guys just to get, you know, some sort of pay and, and other things as the you know company was, was ramping up.
1: Yeah, that's a good question. It's interesting, like from the business standpoint, you know, hey, I'm not the uh the warden MBA or whatever, but it's like, you know, this was definitely predates like the whole social media movement, right? Uh like, you know, what would happen if Hot Sauce or, or Professor or Skip to Malu uh had their own Instagram handle or, you know, their own Twitter or Facebook or, or you know, what have you. Uh so they didn't have their own platform, so they weren't able to, you know, capitalize things uh on their own. Uh but in terms of like equity and that standpoint, I feel like you know, a, a certain percentage of uh, certain sh- uh, shoes that they had. So, you know, how, you know, if I was the professor, right, like I would say, hey, I, I would love to have my own shoe line, would love to, you know, I, I would be open to promoting it out, uh, you know, do my own type of events, uh, do my own type of, you know, outreach and, and things of that nature. And then, yeah, you know, I'll take, you know, whatever percentage it is, and then yeah, you can keep the other, you know, help for helping out with the manufacturing and 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 you know some of the marketing as well. So that's how I, I would probably have structured it in that sense. Uh, get that percentage. Um, and then you know, obviously, you know, it, it, it would be something to build up equity uh in that sense. But uh, you know, I, I think you kind of have to have a little bit more clout uh to get like ownership within a company. Um, I mean, the company was fairly young and everything, so. It wouldn't be outrageous uh to have asked for it, but I think for for those guys uh yeah they they certainly saw i think the n one athletes as a little bit more employees though, so that's always where I think that it, it, for those guys you would have to have uh yeah had percentage sales first and then possibly have that conversation talk for equity so yeah
0: yeah i think that's i think that's fair if there's like a specific product or Uh, let's say it's a professor branded and one shirt or whatever else it could be like having a percentage of things that are directly tied to their likeness, I think would be fair. When I think about equity in the company from, you know, what they were doing on the mixtape tour, just generally speaking, it's like, it took Michael Jordan, I think a long time to be in the equity conversation with Nike. I mean, I feel like it was based on like double digit years, bodies of body of work in the NBA and kind of proving himself to be not just you know, attractive on a basketball court, but also in commercials, movies, et cetera. It was like, you're getting the full package when, when I represent your brand. And it's like, for a lot of these guys, if they didn't have N1, you know, what would they be doing? And a lot of them, you know, earned their living and made, you know, their names through this company. Um, And I think the point when Hot Sauce had an offer open from Reebok and N1's like, if you want to kill your career, go to Reebok, we don't care. And I, I don't think he did. So it's like, you know, for these guys to have a little bit of leverage, uh, maybe with other companies too. I mean, I think that would be kind of an important consideration when it came to, you know, that kind of, you know, talk. But I do think, you know, generally speaking, I like where the NCAA is trending with this stuff. I mean, it's finally, you know, allowing these people to make a living, especially if they are from humble backgrounds. Like, you know, unfortunately most of these athletes can't wait three to four years to, to get professional with what they have to do because back at home, you know, they have families to support and, you know, that could be more than just their you know, own household. It could be other, you know, uh, relatives within the family, friends of the community, et cetera. So there's a lot to consider there, but, uh, now overall, um, you know, just, a an interesting look back at, you know, uh, an interesting brand of our time and, uh, you know, I've been seeing a lot of N1 stuff pop up in like the news or on the shelves or anything in my own world. But like, do you still
1: see N1 gear? Like, see it promoted anywhere? Really? I don't know. No, no, not really. Not, not I, I don't. But uh, I was trying to check up, see if I can get some of those Tai Chi's. Though, uh, <laughs> I think, yeah, my size is uh, is not available right now. So, uh, I, I, I got, uh, I signed up for a notification uh, for when they are. So. I mean I guess I don't know if this documentary had anything to do with it, but um yeah, those things are pretty hot right now. So uh yeah, but I'll I'll definitely be checking out to see if there's more N1 gear and kind of uh living my my teenage angst years a little bit too. So for sure. For sure. I'm sure that uh that search has probably gone wild since the documentary
0: uh <laughs> you know uh got released. But uh in other documentary news we both watched the Tim Donahue special um both were untold uh, as part of the Netflix series on you know these athletes and scandals and other stuff but uh Tim Donahue as we remember was a referee in the NBA uh in the 2000s who uh and in, in the 90s as well but uh you know was a part of the Lakers uh Kings uh drama and uh you know I guess a lot of uh calls that should have gone one way went the other and you know we all know the story of what happened with the Lakers that year and and the Kings unfortunately but uh I guess watching it back what did you uh what did you take away from the series uh what do you think of Tim he, you know then and, and possibly now uh based on hearing his side of the story and his friends too but uh what'd you think
1: yeah I, I don't like to speak ill of the dead but man you know as a as a Kings fan of the early 2000s uh yeah, I kind of hate David David Stern now. I'm like, you know, what could have been had they just let them play the game? Had they not be so concerned about the big stars and everything? Like, you know, that was something Donahue said. He was like, yeah, uh, you know, we're we're going to make sure that certain athletes, uh, you know, the Lakers and certain teams that have a certain marketability behind them uh, get a little bit more preferential treatment uh, because. That's, you know, what the orders from above are and we get treated better, uh, both financially, career wise, uh, uh, with regards to that, if we are a company man. So that's essentially what Donahue said, Uh, you know, so that's always where I just felt a little bit, man. uh, I love those Kings teams. Uh, They were just kind of ahead of their time. I feel like with regards to getting, you know, good passing, good shooting, just fundamentals and and kind of that European style play a lot of ball move, a lot of ball movement so um just unfortunate that yeah that that team uh kind of got discounted because of all you know the things with the refs so and i think anybody that was watching those games man they they kind of knew something was up but and this just totally just validates it all and it it all comes up from david stern so i think that's just my my biggest takeaway from there um but I guess another takeaway is like the guy was making like four hundred thousand dollars a year. I think he said uh, in the as as a referee for the NBA. You know and that was like twenty some odd years ago. Um, plus benefits, plus pension, and all that. Still had a gambling issue though. <laughs> like still, you know all that all that fun stuff. And it, it just goes to show you that you know money can definitely drive people a bit crazy. And you know those highs, man, it, it can definitely get people all up uh you know out of themselves a little bit so um yeah so it i I think it was just a great uh documentary just showcasing like uh uh the inner workings of people man and power and and how people can go crazy with power and that struggle and trying to be staying on top trying to be that company man a little bit too much uh and then yeah uh taking some of that uh you know uh some gambling uh all that and throwing away your career. I think his wife divorced him and left him too. So you know, uh, it's interesting. He was he was able to like come together though and do this documentary some more to Manti Teo. Like you know, is was, was great that they're getting these. I think it's uh, Derek Jeter's company. I think the Players Tribune. I think they're uh, doing parts of this whole untold uh, series where they're essentially getting like you know the Manti Teos, or the Tim Donahue's, like people that were kind of thrown away a little bit uh during those times and then now they're like oh okay let's get their side of the story um let's let's get them to tell um you know their tale so you know i think that's pretty cool uh so go dirt Eater on all that
0: <laughs> yeah i mean i was zero percent surprised when uh you know it came out like the nba had an order that you know, you know we need to promote our best players and stuff i mean when we were going through the Michael Jordan era, I mean, he could take three steps easy, never get a travel call. I mean, you know, AI did the cupping, you know, the cuffing thing. I think they were talking about that too. Just like, so they started to enforce it and other things. Like I thought that was the good part. Donnie he's like, he kind of came in with an attitude of like, I'm going to call it the way it is. And then, then got the orders from the NBA and stuff. But like, yeah, from a, from a promoting the game standpoint, I like not surprised at all that that's how the NBA wanted to do it. And, uh, Also not surprised, uh, not to skip ahead toward the end, but just, you know, if there were other referees involved in this scandal or scheme or whatever else, like for the NBA to kind of protect itself and, you know, put it all on Tim and kind of make him the fall guy, even though he's totally culpable in my perspective. I mean, I guess when I just think about Tim, it's like, you know, you could tell he kind of came from a, you know, you know, he's probably wired for like mischief. He's kind of wired to like get into a little bit of trouble. It seemed like the guys he hung with growing up were all kind of screwballs and stuff. And, you know, seemed like they were both connected to the mob uh, (laughs) from his high school or whatever. So I'm sure there was like, you know, those kinds of antics were like built inside of him. And then, you know, definitely a power play. Like, I think it, the, having the power to be like, I have all the inside information inside the NBA and I can dictate what the game's going to be and I can dictate what the spreads are going to be. Like, I think that's what really got Tim involved in this. Like, cause the money, I don't even remember if they threw out an exact figure of what he actually made through this scheme, but it seemed like the mob and the guys that he were, he was connected with are the ones who are really like printing money. And like, he was just that, that like, you know, that link to the actual games and info and stuff. So like you're saying the guy was making 400k a year with like benefits you're refing in the nba like how could you allow yourself to get you know involved in all that i mean to me it doesn't make any sense like it sounds like the dream come true the dream job to be honest with you i mean even though these guys get harassed like 24 7 while the game's on stuff like so i thought that was kind of strange um i also like the wife's you know divorcing him was kind of Also strange to me because I was like, wait, didn't you go through his laundry and find like (laughs) like wads of cash? (laughs) Like and you never said anything to him at the time, but then like, oh yeah, like (laughs) suddenly, like now that he's gotten caught, now you divorce him. (laughs) It's kind of like too convenient to me. I was like, oh, so you didn't, you know, you didn't say anything at the point where there was like an actual incident there, right? And uh, I guess to your point on like Tim now being featured on an untold and like being able to tell a story to me, it's like It feels a little bit different than the Manti Teo one, in my perspective, just because it—it seems like Tim Donahue is like scrounging around for opportunity at this point. Like he has become like the, you know, the ultimate clown when it comes to you know refing basketball games or even probably any sports matchups. That like they were doing a montage of him now, and he's like refing like backyard wrestling and stuff. Like he got like really desperate points, so he's probably like please like I'll do a full interview with whatever production company wants me to have, you know, to be on this and like, please pay me. And like, you know, here's a bidding war, like start the bidding war. <laughs> so, like, I don't know, man, I just feel like, you know, he was constantly, I feel like deflecting what the other um, one mob member that he was like going, you know, heads up with in terms of like, they're both kind of like disparaging each other on the untold tape. I was kind of like, siding with the mob guy because i was like he seems to be more honest than tim does in these situations and like you know he he was kind of the one to point the big finger at the nba too in terms of like the ultimate cover-up and stuff but uh totally enjoyable brings me back to the you know the time period where all this stuff kind of got um unfolded and uh you know not sure if uh this stuff is still kind of going on it probably could be in major sports especially with like these gambling sites now becoming extremely popular. But, uh, yeah, let's hope this stuff never, uh, you know, gets to the level that it did, I guess, under Tim's watch.
1: Yeah, yeah. He called out Scott Foster, and uh, we'll see. You know, I understand there's going to be more speculation on a Scott Foster a little bit. But it is strange that, like, I think you mentioned that, like, a bunch of uh, uh, NBA referees come from, like, the same, like, Philadelphia neighborhood or something like that. I'm like, there's something up there. Like, what is up with that? Out of all the places in in the entire country, you're you're picking refs from Philadelphia, I think it is. So it's like, something's up. Like, what's the difference between like? Do they just have better vision, or like, I don't know. So do they just like gelling their hair back? Like, I have no idea. So, um, something's up with all that. But yeah, very interesting stuff overall. So, yeah,
0: what's yeah, that hiring gap is just incredible across the country. I mean, there are states that are deprived of, you know, rep, referee representation. So, we'll have, to, we'll have to bring in the referee association of the NBA and, you know, pick them apart uh, from the government perspective. But, uh, no, anyways, uh, no, totally, totally fun. I love when the mob's involved in this stuff too. It always makes it like extra fun. So, uh, I guess with that, you know, we were also kind of talking about two other documentaries that, We had watched this part of the Untold series, but we're probably like, you know, released a year ago or so. But, uh, you know, speaking of the mob, there was the one with the uh, Danbury Thrashers, uh, you know, ownership group. It was, uh, you know, um, stumbling on names here. But uh, we had the father and then also his son was 17 years old. Um, His father, you know, had some dealings uh, in order to, you know, accrue the money to buy this uh, this. seemed like a minor league hockey team, um, but he gave it off to his 17 year old son to run, which is like mind blowing in itself. And uh, what did you what did you take away from this hockey documentary? Why should folks tune in if they've got, you know, an hour of time? And uh,
1: yeah. Yeah, no, I feel like this, this out of all the untold like this is like the Jerry Springer of the you know the bunch like it's like y'all all these guys are just doing what for what exactly like this doesn't make sense but i mean hey you know if you're if you're white trash i, I think this is what you do so <laughs> yeah i just i just found it pretty fascinating and fun so you know definitely uh give it a watch if you can uh but yeah like it is it's like the worst of humanity uh coming together and buying a hockey team essentially and then that's what this whole thing is. So definitely a good laugh and like a WTF type of uh, Netflix uh, episode here for The Untold.
0: Yeah, I mean, his dad, so his dad was like a garbage, he owned a garbage company, which was like pretty typical, I guess, for, you know, the mob. And they kind of tell like the FBI perspective of like mob families that have been tied to like owning, you know, trash compacting companies and stuff. So like this guy basically like hands off to his kid who's 17 years old and seriously looks like, you know Eminem's reboot with dark hair. Um, you know this hockey team, and then he goes a ab- he goes ahead and like signs like a bunch of goons from all across like the hockey world, like whether it was the NHL or like other leagues. But these were like seriously like the worst of the worst like hockey players. They were all like savages. Like they all like loved to get into fights and like do all this stuff. And I think like even on like the first play of the entire you know league that the danbury uh, thrashers got to play and like the their biggest goon like dropped his gloves and like immediately started a fight and like that was from the direction of the owner in the owner's box like kick his ass (laughs) So like it's just kind of like crazy there was like money like you know getting handed to them in duffel bags and stuff and like it's just so great like wayne said uh if you got an hour uh yeah, you know, please watch. It, it's it's just it's totally fun. I actually watched it right after the Tim Donahue one because I was enjoying my Friday night. So I was like, okay, let's keep this rolling. And uh you no, know, totally worth it.
1: Yeah, for sure. And shout out to Trash. Uh the on unher- that's been great for my portfolio. A little bit of waste management, not to prop up the stock a little bit, but I will. Uh, a little bit of waste management, uh, or WCN waste of connections for Can- the Canadian trash. Uh, people in the casella waste management trash is king man trash is king so sounds like that's another GameStop. uh you know (laughs)
0: are we gonna do like a meme stock of uh you know trash and maybe get on like wall street vets or something just start propping up like the garbage uh disposal industry
1: i mean i would if i if if i if i can do that i know i've made it in this country so you know uh if Elon can do it hey why not get this guy you know besides the lawyers and all that so yeah.
0: God bless America. Um, (laughs) Yeah. And then the other doc that, uh, you know, we watched about, a you know, it was released about a year ago, but like major event in NBA, right around the Tim Donahue era or whatnot. But uh, the Malice in the Palace, Detroit, Indiana, um, being in that big brawl with Ben Wallace and Ron Artest. uh, Did you learn, I don't know, anything new that you can recall from that one? Or, you know, what would you say about, you know, the doc overall to folks?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think the biggest thing I got or my biggest takeaway was uh, like Jermaine Neal just got completely screwed, uh, you know, like with his suspension, and everything like, uh, you know, his involvement and and everything like it, it just didn't make sense there. So I, I, I think he got screwed. Uh, I also felt a little bit more compassionate to run our test, I guess, hearing from his side a little bit on 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 all that. So. You know, uh, and and it is interesting now that he's talking about like his, he had bipolar disorder and things of that nature. So which, you know, if all that, if all that happened like today, like things would have been like, oh, is he okay? Kind of like like this whole uh, like Will Smith slapping Chris Rock thing. It's like, oh, oh, let's feel sorry for uh, Will Smith a little bit, <laughs> you know, kind of like uh, how you, you know feeling sorry, I guess, for uh, uh, Ron Artest in that situation. So. Yeah, it, it was definitely a weird issue, but yeah, I definitely felt like yeah, Jermaine O'Neal got more of a shaft there. I think that's suspended for the entire season, uh, and yeah, they they could have that was like Reggie Miller's one last chance, best chance probably uh, to win uh, an NBA championship, and that all went uh, all went for naught after that whole incident. So um, very unfortunate overall. Uh, but you know, yeah, I I, I definitely think that. Uh Jermaine O'Neal got screwed and uh yeah, I felt more compassion towards Runner Test overall and yeah, Reggie Miller too. So but yeah, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I remember watching that live. Uh I think it was like a Friday night game
0: or something like that. And, you know, Ron Artest, that was a cheap foul. Um, but as far as like the like instigation and everything went, like test like fully removed himself from that situation. He laid down on the announcer's table, like He was like, I'm at peace. I'm staying out of this. I'm trying to, you know, diffuse the situation. I probably made a crappy follow there, whatever. But like for the fan to just throw a beer on him for him to sit there in the moment and just be like, Oh yeah, that's totally okay. You know, I I've always had like sympathy for these guys, to be honest with you, all the guys who got suspended because it was like, once that one thing happened, it triggered like a bunch of different, you know, events on that court, in those stands on, you know, on the floor. And, uh, it was nuts, man. It was absolute chaos. Like, Steven Jackson was trying to bail out Ron Artest from getting, like, killed. You know, Fred Jones got beat up by a, a fan for no good reason. He was just in the area. So, a fan just, like, decided, hey, I'm going to start, like, wailing on you. And then when it came to, like, Jermaine O'Neill and even Artest again, there was just, like, a group of guys that started, like, crowding them on the court, like, moving in on them. So, it's like, you know, what else are you going to do? Like, Ron Artest starts throwing hands and then Jermaine, like, just tries to break up the whole thing. And, like, again, they're just trying to. I mean, it's like survival mode when you get to that point. So I always felt like the penalties were really stiff. Um, You know, watching it back again was just like, you know, further cemented the fact that it was, I I thought, a little bit harsh on the NBA to just like, you know, completely take away, you know, a team that should have been, you know, finals contenders season away. And uh, like you said with Reggie Miller, that was the other point is hearing Reggie's, you know, side of things like that immediately like kind of ended his career and his ability to like, you know, have that chance at a title, and uh, we never know what could happen that year. But uh, you know, definitely had sympathy for all those guys.
1: Yeah, and you kind of like compare, like you know, th- this is definitely one of those things. It's like you know, the culture towards, say, like African American uh, NBA players, you know, with AI and like you know, people calling them thug and everything, like a gangster and all that. And then yeah, you you, you then you then you turn on this whole Dansbury Trashers thing at all, and it's like. Oh, they're just guys having fun, or, you know, like you know, some BS stuff like that. And, you know, it just goes to show like, come on, man, like, you, you know, we're, we're better than that. And I'm thankful for that. The world's a little bit more, it's a little bit more, it's a little bit different compared to where it was like the early 2000s and how we treat uh, NBA athletes and athletes in general, I think. So like, yeah, they're people, they're, you know, fathers, they're somebody's uh, sons and all that. So. Like they're people, they have emotions just like any other, anybody else. So including uh mob owned uh, hockey league teams. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. I think that's a fair point too. I mean, if we look back at, you know, even baseball, the fact that, you know, these players can throw baseballs at each other. Um, there was a time where the Dodgers were, you know, on the road at Wrigley field. I feel like it was probably the two thousands at some point, but uh, a catcher got his hat pulled off. I think it was Chad Kruder while he was, um, you know, in the bullpen with the relievers and stuff, and then kind of went into the crowd to go fight the guy who snatched his hat. Like, I know those guys didn't get season-long suspensions, so it's like it kind of begs the question of, like, yeah, how did race, uh, you know, play a a part in this, you know, whole uh, event and and all the aftermath and stuff. So, you know, again, not really surprised, but it's uh, definitely an area of improvement when it comes to, you know, uh, crime and punishment.
1: Yeah, again, uh, not to speak ill of the dead, David Stern, man. like <laughs> I don't know this whole thing with <laughs> David Stern being involved with all this because, you know, it definitely felt like a lot of this whole thing was like, you know, the NBA was trying to reach a global perspective. I don't know. I was like David Stern's ambitions. He's like, we can't have what, like, black athletes uh, hit fighting each other. But it's like, look at hockey. Like, <laughs> you know, it's it gets cheered when uh, two people – and they just get put into a little penalty box, like, could you imagine something like that happening in the NBA? It's like, oh, yeah, you can get in a fight, but, you know, you get put in the, the penalty box. Like, if LeBron is to fight, like, I don't know, Pat Beverly, or not anymore, but they're in the same team now. But, yeah, if somebody was to get in a fight with Pat Beverly or something like that, and then he just gets put, you know, two minutes in in the in the box or something, something stupid like that, right? Like, like, that would be kind of the equivalent. Like, why is it so acceptable for hockey for people to get in fights there compared to, like, you know uh, – in, in the NBA basketball. So, you know, stuff like that. I, I I don't get as much like I get the whole I guess, yeah, they're wearing I guess armor and then they're on skates. So they have, I guess, less torque. But come on, like the image is definitely, you know, oh, like you talk about all this ma- toxic masculinity. That's just hockey. Like, oh, I have an aggression. I'm not getting my way. All right. This guy, you know, just did some punk ass move on me. So I'm just gonna fight him. Like, come on, you know. So uh so I, I don't I, I think it's just all BS uh and you know, yeah, we're I think everybody's just hypocritical with regards to that and how we treat uh NBA athletes, say, like, compared to, like, yeah, hockey people who are, like, yeah, it's, like, 99% white, basically, right? So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it felt like right after the Jordan era, you know,
0: ended, it turned into, like, the hip-hop and one-type culture within the NBA, and I feel like that event was layered on top of kind of, you know, players wearing street gear while they're sitting on the benches and they're injured or, you know, can't play for whatever reason. And it's like, once that event happened, that was like the final straw. It feels, I felt like for like the commissioner and, you know, the NBA execs at the time. And it's like, right from there, that's when they started doing like formal wear on the sidelines and like trying to repair their image. And, you know, it all kind of went hand in hand for the time, but uh, Hey, there's a documentary about it now. So, you know, violence obviously sells and like, and not to say they shouldn't have embraced it, but, like, you know, maybe they shouldn't have gone, like, <laughs> I don't know, no return strategy with these guys. Like, they just buried Ron Artest and, you know, some of the, uh, you know, um, PR around guys like Jermaine O'Neal and and other folks, Stephen Jackson, et cetera.
1: Yeah. I mean, hey, you know, if they, if they really want to sell some tickets and get those rings up, you know, maybe they ought to have just, like, hey, you know, uh let's get the fans some boxing gloves. Let's get Ron Test some boxing gloves and then okay, now you guys can fight. You know, I feel like that's like the the equivalent, you know, in, in a way, I guess, like with the with the NHL. Um, you know, again, yeah, if they're if they're gonna hide behind that whole narrative that uh, you know, this is like a bad example for the kids. It's like, why why do we cheer when that happens in hockey? Like, I don't understand all that. That doesn't make any sense. So, um, yeah, again, not to speak Ill of the dead, but man, David Stern. Um so, yeah.
0: <laughs> got it. Well, I guess turning the page but staying on the NBA, um, you know, we saw this trade go down last week or so. Donovan Mitchell, uh, you know, finally got traded from the Utah Jazz. Uh, it was a summer-long debate over whether or not he'd go the Knicks. Um, he didn't. Uh, he went to the Cleveland Cavaliers instead. Um, in return, the Jazz got Laurie Markkinen, uh, Ochai Agbaje, uh Colin Sexton, they got three unprotected first-round picks, two pick swaps, um, and then they extended Colin Sexton to a four-year deal. Um, Wayne, what do you think of the deal for both sides? Um, you know, where do you see the Cavs kind of going now, and, and what do you think of Utah, um, you know, long-term?
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it definitely feels like and seems like uh, uh, the Cavs want to go kind of all in, Um are they, I guess, like top contenders? You know, they're definitely not there, I guess, at the moment, like that Boston uh, or, you know, maybe in Philadelphia, like I, or the Nets, you know, uh, potentially who knows how they're going to be or uh, <laughs> who's going to be uh, on that roster and everything uh, come like opening day and at the end of the season. But, um, you know, I think that they are certainly better. You know, the, they're, they, they, they made the playoffs, I think, last season. Uh, you know, with Sex Land, and oh, man, I can't believe that name is gone. And I, I think that they did they sign Rudy Gay? I can't remember because I think I saw the memes like you know Gay Sex or whatever. Like you know, again, these nicknames, man, these nicknames. So, um, but I I I think that they're they're gonna be good. Uh, you know, will they maybe make push with the Bulls to uh, move up the the rankings in the East, possibly? But I, I, definitely am, you know, optimistic. I think with Patrick Williams taking a step, and you know, we we definitely have more seasoned veterans. Uh, they're they're a great young team, but they have a lot of great young talent, Mobley uh, and Garland. Um, so there's certainly there's a lot of room for growth there and potential. Um, but you know, I, I think hey, maybe in three years we'll we'll have a better understanding where they're at overall uh, in terms of a team, but. Um, I think it's a good haul for the short term for Cleveland. I just don't think it's like going to take. I don't think they're going to win a championship or anything like that. But hey, I think that they'll be pretty decent, a pretty decent team. Uh, maybe you know, uh, mid, uh, mid in the standings, like you know, four or five, possibly. Um, but you know, with uh, uh, a player like Donovan Mitchell, like who knows? He definitely shows up in the playoffs, so they, they can definitely make a run there. But uh, moving on to the the jazz, though, that's such a haul. You know, I, I think, uh, uh, was it, uh, um, I forgot who called it out exactly, but it was like, yeah, they predicted exactly that Danny Ainge was going to actually, like, overhaul this entire franchise once he got the keys to all this. It's trading Rudy Gobert, you know, got a bunch of first-rounders there. Now, Trade Donovan Mitchell got a bunch of young talent and first-rounders, so... You know, obviously building through the draft. Uh and I think that's great. I think that Utah, you know, it's not a destination place. So, you know, just trading for some draft picks, getting some young, uh, some young assets, I think is a great way to to you know, build a franchise. They weren't seemed like they really hit their peak uh with Gobert and Mitchell. Um, and yeah, they just they, they just couldn't move any any further uh up there. So Hey, I think if I am a jazz fan, I know it's probably gonna suck in the next couple of years. But you know, uh, if they can get you know a couple of first overall picks or first couple of picks in the draft, I think that'll be great for them to build a franchise. You know, trust the process and uh, uh, just hopefully that they draft pretty well there and uh, build a team similar to probably the Celtics, just you know, out in uh out in Utah.
0: Yeah, I mean. <clears throat> I'm not going to lie. I like to wear my GM hat when I view trades and kind of think about where teams are, where they're trying to go. Um, you know, starting with Utah. Um, you know, if you think about it with this trade and the Rudy Gobert trade, um, you know, considering the drafted players, um, you know, from this year's draft in those deals separately, they got 11 first round picks for Gobert and Donovan Mitchell. I mean, 11 first round picks. I mean, it's like, it's like playing like with Monopoly money, you know, like the way the Jazz are operating and they're setting precedents in terms of, you know, how much return you can actually get for a quote unquote, you know, star player in this league. So, you know, just looking at it, it's like they also have their own firsts that are going to be so, so high. Like <laughs> They're going to have, you know, maybe the opportunity to bring in. Um, you know, the, the top guy on the market, uh, Victor, um, I'm always going to butcher his last name, but you know, the seven foot, seven footers, you know, able to shoot kind of like the modern day Tim Duncan they're talking about. Um, but you know, overall, if we just look at, you know, even getting Colin Sexton back, like this isn't just like a throw in, you know, I think, you know, Colin Sexton, he's like Donovan Mitchell. They're the same size. They're undersized shooting guards. They can score, I think, Sexton averaged 23 and three. Whereas, you know, Don Mitchell might've been a tick above that in the points, rebounds, assist categories. But, you know, I think everybody falls in love with what Donovan Mitchell did during the, um, you know, the, the lock, you know, the lockdown uh, pandemic season when, you know, he was just absolutely, you know, destroying teams in the bubble. <laughs> like, I'm all for that. Like, I think, you know, you get a guy who's that skilled in scoring, um, over to a, a young Cleveland Cavs squad. I get it. I just think, you know, the price is extremely steep. Um, you know, it's, it's just steep. And I think those Cavs picks will probably be, you know, uh, a little bit, you know, worse for the jazz than maybe the Timberwolves picks will be, uh, if we look at this kind of long-term. Um, but I think overall the price was, uh, was, was pretty high for the Cavs. but, uh, I guess, you know, if we look at the, you know, that just the, I guess the cab side of the return, you know, I think you mentioned, you've got, you know, Garland and Mobley there, you got Jared Allen down low, Um, you know, you bring in Donovan Mitchell. I mean, if you just add, you know, those, those kind of three with another, you know, marquee young guy who's, who's controllable. I mean, I think that's a a really solid core um, that hopefully they can build off. I mean, does this usher in like another round of LeBron once he's free? Like maybe like that's, I think in the back of their brains when they do a deal like that, or, you know, could you get, you know, a, uh, a great rotation piece veteran that's, uh, you know, coming free after, after this season that would like to join that squad or, you know, maybe it's just another nice, um, you know, uh, fringy all-star type, or maybe it's like a, just a good, you know, two or three extra veterans that want to like, join up with the young Cavs squad to make it more of a championship contender for the years ahead. I mean, that's what you've got to bank on if you're Cleveland and you know, it's good that they, they swung for the fences here. Like they've got some great pieces in place. It's just uh yeah, again, I, I look at the price tag. Um, maybe I'm just a little bit more conservative. If I was, you know, going to be on the Cav side, making deals. Like I, you know, I, I thought what they were asking, um, you know, jazz were asking of the Knicks, like to throw in Barrett. I'm like, that's just dumb. Like that would just be dumb for the Knicks. Like, like if you get Mitchell, you're, you're what, like maybe contending for a seven, eight seed, six, seven, eight seed. It's like, so the whole Knicks thing, I was like, I was just happy that they took themselves out of that because it was getting kind of silly. Um, this deal makes more sense with the teams involved. Um, you know, I just, I'm excited for what could be ahead for the jazz given, you know, Sexton, Agbaji. they bring over Walker Kessler. Um, they still have Jordan Clarkson and Malik Beasley, you know, Beasley to deal with, so who knows what else they can get involved in these deals. They got some stuff for Pat Bev. So, you know, Danny Ainge is, is doing his thing. He's, he's moving his window of being, you know, that top exec, you know, forward too. I mean, take a long time before he can really be evaluated as well. I think it's a great career move as a GM. Uh, so, so good on Danny for doing that for himself uh, professionally as well. But uh, those are, those are kind of my initial thoughts and takeaways from this, from this massive deal.
1: Yeah, no, uh, I I definitely agree. And it's like, you know, I'm looking at the Eastern Conference uh, right now. It's like, in terms of young teams, like they certainly have a great young team. Uh, You know, in terms of the rankings of great young teams, like, you know, the Hawks are better, right? Uh, They were eighth last season. You know, they went to the conference finals a couple of seasons ago now. Um, So like, you know, if I'm kind of ranking uh, teams, at least, you know, preseason wise, it's like, you know, Heat are only really getting older, you know, with Jimmy and, and Kyle uh, Lowry kind of like as their two best players. Like, you know, those guys are aging up a little bit. And, you know, uh it's uh, like, you know, how many good quality years are they going to be getting now uh, for there? So, you know, the Stones going to be, I think, a transition where Miami, he will eventually digress, uh, you know, maybe not in the next couple seasons. But after that, after like, you know, two seasons, you know, I think. Three years from now, what uh, Jimmy Barr is going to be like 36, 37, something like that, right? I think he's getting up there in age. So it's like, you know, how many good years is he going to have left there? And, and Lowry as well. So, um, and and Abidio as well. So compare that to the trajectory that I think that the Cavaliers see themselves. Hey, if they do get a LeBron, I mean, obviously LeBron will take them up. And then, hey, maybe LeBron brings in Bronny or, or whoever, you know, Uh uh so, you know, that's so it could be an interesting storyline if if all of that kind of uh comes to fruition, you know, uh with the young talent that the Cavaliers have, bringing LeBron, you know, that's trying to put some up there uh with Donovan Mitchell and you know, if he plays to his potential in the playoffs as well as with, with uh sexton and Mobley and and Allen. So um and then yeah, you got the Bucks, uh Giannis, you know, the top player on NBA 2K, uh, 23 in terms of his overall ratings, I think he was like a 97 or something like that. The rest were a little bit, uh, lower than that. So, uh, they'll have a healthy Chris Middleton, you know, all within their prime years still. Um, and the Drew Holiday, you know, so all, yeah, like I mentioned, also within their prime years, uh, Joel Embiid, you know, we'll see what happens, uh, you know, with, uh, with him and everything. Um, but yeah, we'll be interesting to see, uh, you know, with Harden and, and how they progress from there. Um, so, and, and then, yeah, Toronto is a great young team as well. They got a lot of length, a lot of assets. So, uh, and then our Bulls. Uh, so I, I think, yeah, maybe a couple of years. And I forgot the Celtics, too, could throw them in there. You know, they'll, they'll definitely be contenders there. So that's, again, where I'm like, Cavs for maybe the next couple of years, you know, probably. Uh, bottom half of the playoffs, I would imagine. Uh, But then, hey, maybe come year three, uh, they could potentially be contenders, and with a LeBron or some sort of wing like that, I can definitely take them over the top. So Very excited for them.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think that's a fair assessment. I also wanted to point out two extra things. Um, The first being, you know, I I think it's being a a little bit overlooked, the defensive side of what this arrangement's going to be for the Cavs, because now you have Two guys that are 6'1 that are, you know, uh slashers, they're scorers, they're creators, they're good at what they do on the offensive side. But to have Garland and Mitchell on the floor together just defensively, two six one guys, I think that's like a little bit of a hole. Um, you know, Coro, they're talking about, you know, making him like the defensive stopper for, you know, whoever the best player they're they're playing is. I kind of, you know, looking at their depth chart, it looks a little bit thin now that they've given away, you know, Laurie and you know, their first round pick and et cetera, it's kind of like, and they can't supplement anything through the draft either. So it's kind of like, we'll see where this goes. I mean, they're going to have to really, really bank on, you know, free agent players just wanting to go to Cleveland for the team itself. <laughs> I mean, not, not for the, the entertainment and nightlife per se, but uh, <laughs> it's like, they're, they're really going to have to, you know, this is going to, they're going to have to find a way to make this thing kind of physically work on the, on the basketball court. Um, you know, what you're saying about teams that could compete with the Cavs, um, you know, you mentioned the Milwaukee Bucks, obviously we know Giannis is, uh, kind of, you know, the, the franchise face for, for that, you know, team. And, uh, you know, he had some remarks a couple weeks ago that we never had a chance to touch on, but he did make a reference that, you know, down the line, he could see himself, you know, playing for the Chicago Bulls and, uh, you know, it definitely caught my attention. I'm sure it did for you as well. Um, Wayne. How feasible do you think this really is? Is it just him, you know, saying this, you know, would be awesome because he grew up, you know, you know, uh, you know, just wanting to, uh, you know, be the next Michael Jordan or, you know, kind of looking up to what the Bulls did in the nineties or, uh, you know, is this something that can actually tangibly happen? And, And if it does, when do you think that could all take
1: place? I mean, maybe he's getting bored of Milwaukee, you know, maybe he's like, Hey, Chicago, not too far you know I got the fam you know, he brought a lot of his family over and everything. Hey it's not too far of a move uh, to go to Chicago. It's like hey maybe you know if you guys want to stay here you got that's totally cool I'll go I'll be in Chicago you know with my uh, with my max contracts and everything uh, and then yeah I'll just hang out here and then I'll see y'all uh, what, you know during the holidays or whatever so maybe that's what he's thinking and wants to you know live life a little bit but not too far away from his family which I know he loves. Uh, according to his uh you know his disney uh movie and everything so uh i mean is it feasible like i don't know how feasible it is like with the uh at the moment at least with the bulls like uh living in the draft capital you know especially uh, when they traded for like Rosen and vucevic uh so and a lot of their Players that they have right now, like they do have like a Kobe White or like a Patrick Williams. So, you know, it's going to be hard for me at least to see it happening like with the next like, you know, three years probably or maybe more. Or so, you know, but hey, potentially down the line, maybe there is a time where Giannis is like, yeah, I, I want to get out of here. I want to uh, want some of that deep dish or some of that, uh, you know, like Greek town food or whatever, uh, spending more time there and, um, you yeah, know, having a little bit more of that life. Uh, you know, hey, we got we got Chick fil A too, so it's all good there. So, uh, you know, if Giannis wants to come here, uh, I'm definitely finding parting ways with like a Patrick Williams and a couple of first rounders or, or whatever it takes with regards to that. But, uh, obviously, you know, I love Pat, what would love to see him, uh, you too, but yeah, we would love to uh, see Patrick Williams stay and everything. But yeah, with Giannis, uh, that's definitely a hard, uh, hard person to pass on, uh, I will say. So, But yeah, I just I don't I I definitely think it was kind of more more for fun, more of like just hey uh, yeah I wouldn't mind going to Chicago or whatever that's cool that's cool. Uh, But my contract says Milwaukee, so I'm all good at that point right now. So that's what I think.
0: Yeah, I'm sure he's tired of having his family like flying from Greece into O'Hare. Have to like drive out like you know an hour or so to Milwaukee just to like see their son. So he's probably like, hey, let's make this a lot easier for everybody. We'll all meet in Greektown in Chicago and have a big feast and, you know, get together more often in that sense. But, uh, yeah, his, uh, his contract comes, uh, you know, uh, expired by 2026. I think at that time he's going to be 31, 32 years old. Um, not to say that's old in NBA terms because, you know, look what LeBron is doing at his age. He's almost 40. It's, it's incredible. Uh, if Giannis, you know, can dodge, you know, injuries and, like, age well, uh, you know, at a, you know all-star level. You know, could we sign him outright, you know, as a free agent at that time? Probably. Uh, Maybe if he's still interested, if he's not, you know, extended at that point, it'd be interesting to see who might still be on the books. It sounds like, you know, a guy like Patrick Williams probably be, you know, still a Chicago Bull, you know, would a DeRozan, Alonzo Ball, you know, possibly a Zach Levine. I mean, I could see that happening too, like him wanting to stay, you know, for for however long uh, the Bulls you know, keep offering him max deals or extensions or whatever else. So, like, that could be a fun team. Like, let's say Patrick Williams is, like, finally a, a legit third wheel and you've got Zach still there. Um, you know, you add Giannis, I think to any team, they're going to be a contender. Uh, I guess it would just be a lot of fun. Um, I'm kind of with you on the side of, like, it'd be very tough, I think, for the Bulls to, like, swing an actual trade that makes sense for us. You know, just given the pieces that we have. I mean, this year, obviously, it would be probably <laughs> – uh impossible but um yeah I mean what would they actually want from us I mean a division rival uh to take their best player and yeah it'd be really tough I mean yeah would definitely start with uh probably Pat if he's if he's you know able to take a, a massive jump here you know anybody who's interesting AO uh you know uh, Kobe um you know maybe Zach but again like what are you left with if uh You start dealing like your franchise players too. So it's, it's a tough call. Um, you know, I just guess I'm more happy that he actually showed acknowledgement for, you know, the franchise and and maybe Chicago in a sense, because, you know, we've had talks on this, uh, on this show about, you know, why do the bulls always swing and miss with big free agents? It's like, we can never land the big one. Um, we've had so many opportunities over the years with, uh, LeBron, you know Wade and Bosh in their primes. We have also missed out on like Grand Hill, Tracy McGrady. Um, you could probably name a, a lot more guys that we've just missed on, and uh, it'd be awesome to like hit a home run with Giannis.
1: Yeah, I know for sure. I I mean, again, you know, if, if we can show them like the fun side. Oh, hey, attack with it. Let's just name Greek Town Giannis Town or whatever, and <laughs> just, yeah. just r- run with that. And you know, give them the the keys to the city. So. But yeah, to your point, you know, I, it is nice to see that AK definitely, it seems like he's getting more uh, players involved and he's showcasing the cultural change uh, with DeMar DeRozan. Um, you know, DeMar, he chose Chicago. So like that was, that was a the thing there. So um, it was great. It's great to see that Chicago is becoming more of a destination and uh, you know, Juan's ball as well. I know. Yeah. He, he's recently hurt and everything, but yeah, Juanza Ball, ball uh, you know, he he definitely chose to come to Chicago as well. So it's like, there's a tide turning. So hopefully, you know, not too far in the distant future, we are able to get more uh, top level uh, free agents, just like the ones you mentioned um, with, you know, the whole regime change now. So, but yeah, we'd love to see Giannis in Chicago eventually. For sure.
0: Um, We'd love to see, you know, Giannis come to Chicago, um, but there are some people, you know, trying to leave Chicago in the same sense. And uh, that would be our Chicago bears. Uh, they're trying to actually take the team away from Soldier Field and, you know, build a brand new stadium where the Arlington racetrack used to be in Arlington Heights, Illinois, which is about, you know, 30 minutes uh, west of the city. Um, you know, in general, it's a 326 acre plot of land. Uh, the project they estimate will be you know, able to uh, give economic benefits of $9.4 billion and you know, support 48,000 jobs, as they say. Um, how long those jobs, uh, you know, uh, last is, is is probably another question. Is it just for the construction or is it actually for, you know, long-term uh, economic planning? Who knows? But, uh, you know, I think both of us have been in and out of Arlington Nights in our lifetimes. Uh, looks like they're actually trying to, like, build uh, an entertainment district, you know, buy it through it. Uh, new restaurants, bars, other attractions could be coming to that suburb if this whole thing goes through. Wayne, I don't know if you've done any other sort of digging or reading on this. Like, you know, how would this be approved? Uh, You know, what constraints might there be? But uh, just in general, if you just have like uh, uh, an initial reaction, just love to hear, um, you know, your thoughts of the Arlington Heights Bears.
1: Yeah, for sure. Uh, You know, there's definitely that whole thing. Yeah, Arlington Heights Bears and everything. Uh, I know there's even been talks about like, oh, does that mean that they're going to put another team in Chicago at Soldier Field? Um, you know, at this point, I the, the reason why I think people need to understand the reason why Soldier Field is not good for the NFL, not necessarily the Bears, but the NFL. Um, so uh, Soldier Field is not owned by the Bears. A lot of teams in the NFL, they are starting to or I think most of them own actually their uh, their stadium that they're in and they lease it out for they rent it out for like concerts and things of that nature. Right. So they get revenue that way. Um, but with the, the bears uh, there's a reason why the field sucks so much and everything is because the city uh, is the one that runs it and leases out to the bears. So they don't have that control. They don't get like all the revenue and proceeds there. Uh, so the NFL suffers because of that. So the it's in the NFL's interest as well as the bears and bears ownership to move to Arlington Heights, to own everything uh, long-term. And that's the whole idea. It's not just about Soldier Field and being like the Chicago Bears or whatever. It's just that, you know, why deal with the city when you don't have to deal with the city? Like, you just move out of the city. And, you know, there's always been those mentions of, um, you know, the, the 49ers, they're not in San Francisco or whatever, but they're still called the San Francisco 49ers. Like, so it's totally cool, whatever it could be called. Uh, the Chicago Bears. Even though you're in Arlington Heights, like it's unheard of. Chicagoans need to go out if they think that's different or whatever. So, um, but I think it's good for the Bears. You know, I went to the uh uh see the Las Vegas Raiders play the Chicago Bears in Las Vegas in Allegiant Stadium. Saw that I think like a three billion dollar state of the art facility. We're all missing out. Like uh, Soldier Field has. Uh, the smallest uh, city or smallest seating capacity amongst all the NFL, I think, with like just six, 60,000. And it's like, yeah, it needs to be better. Uh, it needs to be renovated. Uh, it, it, it can't look like a, a spaceship just landed and crashed into, you know, a bunch of coliseums and all of that. And I, I think that's the idea for the Bears and Bears ownership with what they want. I know they'll, you know, also want to talk about owning a Super Bowl. I think that's great for the, the city, the area, uh, all for that, as well as you know, obviously concerts, et cetera, et cetera. Maybe a Final Four as well, hosting those as well. So can definitely see all that happening uh, if they were to, you know, go out to Arlington Heights. Um, and like I said, it's like you know, people talk about traffic and such. But it's like people will still go to these things because we're all sports fanatics and we're all stupid with money and stuff like that. We're just going to go, uh, even if it's Arlington Heights, even if we have to drive, you know, get an Uber or whatever from Chicago, like r- things are going to happen uh, from the city perspective. They're going to develop Amtrak's and stuff like that a little bit more, um, get more shuttles, buses, things of that nature to go from Chicago or, or in different parts of Chicago to uh of Heights. It's, there's too much money to be had for all that to, to fumble, uh, no pun intended there. So, um, with regards to, I guess, payment, like, yeah, I think Harvard did a study about the whole thing about, you know, uh, whenever a taxpayer funded, uh, tax, taxpayer funding goes to a stadium, uh, uh, there's never a break-even point or the economics don't make sense for the city perspective. And, this day and age, like it's dumb and stupid if there is any type of tax dollars going towards uh, the stadium um, in that sense. So and there's so many options now with private funding, you know, I think uh, both the Rams and I think also to a certain extent the Raiders as well in Las Vegas, uh, the the NFL helped fund it uh, again because the NFL wins The entire all the league owners get more revenue, more money when uh their stadium is uh you know going to be controlled 100 percent from the nfl team owner team owners so uh i think it's makes sense for the nfl to help fund uh the the chicago Bears moving to arlington heights so you know uh if there is any type of tax incentives and all that i'd be like what what you, what you guys have gone too far like it's definitely gonna be a game of chicken but i'm like what kind of leverage do you got really uh, are you gonna really move uh the bears to you know another destination like is that really like that's gonna look terrible and and, and all that and you know, you're gonna leave a deep hole in chicago chicago has too much of an economic interest being the mark you know third fourth you know, largest market now uh in the country so it would be stupid economically to move out of chicago so I, I feel like it's much more about uh it's gonna be this game of chicken and leverage but you know tax prepare funding ought not to go there Um, And, yeah, the NFL owners, I think, should fund it, uh, as well as the Bears and And, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I think uh, people are predicting it to look like kind of uh, what Lambeau Field or that area looks like in Green Bay, just like an entire village of, like, bars, restaurants, you know, uh, NFL museum type of atmosphere, you know, a city basically devoted to the Bears. So, you know, I, I certainly see that probably more likely occurring than, say, them staying in the downtrodden uh, Soldier field. So, yeah. yeah,
0: no, I think that's just a list of good points. I mean, I think getting the onus off the taxpayers is a huge, huge thing. I mean, I feel like with all franchises across professional sports, it's always been used as a great leverage piece for ownership. Like, oh, you know, you don't help fund a new stadium or, you know, make improvements to our stadiums. Like we'll take the team and leave to another city. I feel like that's always been, you know, part of negotiations between ownerships and cities and such. So it's kind of like, you know, for things to start becoming more privatized for, you know, uh, whatever ownership group is a part of a franchise to be able to like fund the majority of the project. Like I know, at least from, you know, some of the articles I've read, there is some taxpayer assistance that might come up with the construction or development of, you know, Arlington Heights and the stadium, et cetera. But I think it won't take up, you know, nearly, you know, the same kind of share that normally would happen with these stadium deals with, you know, cities, et cetera. So I think that's a huge thing, puts more money back in the city's pockets, hopefully, (laughs) if they're not, you know, missing out too much on, you know, Bears games, concerts, et cetera, to like actually tackle important issues that taxpayers should be funding uh, throughout the city. So especially now with COVID, you know, still kind of in that recovery period, and we're, you know, in our current economic environment where it's like, are we going toward a recession? Like most likely. So it's, it's just good that, uh you know, this is kind of the new era for stadium, you know, development and how teams are going to think about, you know, where to, where to place their teams and how to wreck stadiums. But uh, I also like the fact that it's a domed stadium. I mean, think about going to soldier field, like growing up, I think I've gone to like on my hand could count the amount of games because it's just, it was always tough. It was like, okay, we don't get to a game before October 15th. Like, I'm not going because I've sat in Soldier Field, I've sat in Lambeau Field when it's, you know, 30 or below. And it's just like the worst fan experience of all time. So it's like, thank you to all these uh, you know, sports teams in the Midwest, um, especially like, you know, Minnesota, etc., you know, Detroit, uh, you know, any of these teams. Like, if you're creating a new stadium, don't make it outside. Like, I was completely baffled when the twins took themselves out of the you know the Twin Dome the Metrodome and built an outdoor stadium. I was like, "What are you doing?" Like <laughs> this is probably the coldest environment in baseball and like it's going to suck to start the year, it's going to suck to end the year if you make the playoffs. Like what are you doing? So, good on the Bears to have this as part of their plan. Like I don't know, maybe you can correct me. I didn't know if there's like any sort of retractable component to what they're proposing, but uh, I just saw a dome, so I wasn't sure you know what it might look like or what have you. But um, anyways, the other point that I think you raised was just nice is just it kind of expands Chicago and the Chicagoland area. I think it just like helps to bring more interest and, you know, money to, you know, the Western suburbs. I think that, you know, if you're planning to buy a home, if you're planning to, you know, rent anywhere around the city of Chicago, like it starts to, you know, attract some attention in the more of the Western uh, parts of Chicago, Western neighborhoods. So you know, maybe there's a ripple effect where even if it's not Arlington Heights, maybe it's the other suburbs, maybe it's other, you know, um, neighborhoods in Chicago that improve as a result of this. I mean, you talked about, you know, mass transportation as well. Like, it'd be nice to know that, you know, there are new lines potentially, you know, going to be built to, you know, help get people from point A in the city to Arlington Heights and, and further. So um, all good on that front. Um, I'm actually excited about the potential of this move. I mean, there's nothing in my heart that's like, oh, I hope Soldier, you know, Soldier Field like is preserved forever because once they drop that, you know, UFO on top of the Coliseum, I was kinda like, all right, this is the ugliest thing I've ever seen. And uh, you know, maybe the XFL can uh, you know, now with the rock and others, you know, trying to bring it back, maybe they can uh, you know, fill a team inside of Soldier Field if a, <laughs> if a dome stadium's built in Arlington Heights, maybe they can bring back the Chicago enforcers or something like that. So um, I'm all for it. Thumbs up. Uh we'll see what
1: happens. Yeah, I know for sure. I agree. I'm I'm definitely for it. Uh yeah, you know, in order to economically progress as a city, as you know, uh we have to economically economically progress. And this this will definitely be better economically for the Chicagoland um going forward. So uh I like the point. Like, I, I think like a lot of Chicagoans feel like oh oh yeah, there there's a reason why a lot of you know these companies were uh going uh to the city of chicago is because a lot of young people right uh you know we talked about mcdonald's like you know uh um a caterpillar for a hot second like a lot of them were coming to be headquartered in chicago because they wanted to get that young talent uh or a lot of the executives wanted to live you know towards a, a city that's thriving and it has like you know good food good restaurants you know good vibe a thriving area there isn't too much outside of chicago than Chicago. Uh, and that's definitely where a lot of people, especially now, you know, our generation, we're you know buying houses, buying property. Uh, we still you know, in the Midwest and Chicago area want to have nice things. So, uh, you know, that if you go, you know, in the DC area, right, or or Texas, you know, Dallas or Houston or Austin or whatever, there's you know major metropolitan cities uh, fairly close to each other, right. You know, why not Chicago? Why is Chicago the only cool city in like the Illinois area? You know, that's always where, hey, maybe Arlington Heights, you know, it, it it certainly fits, I think, in my opinion, like that space, enough space for uh, you know, a good economic city to to be there and thriving. Like I remember going there uh like this you know, this past summer, this you know, current summer, I guess, uh yeah, having a nice, you know, brunch with a friend, like this is a pretty cool area. There's definitely a lot more space and room for things to develop, but obviously there's a lot of you new, know, nice restaurants that are building up there and could, you can definitely see a good, uh, a good scene with regards to like having a football team and having certain festivities being there. So, you know uh, yeah, I, with space, with economical means, with good investment opportunities, you know, certainly I think a lot of um, things to progress to go to, Ar- to Arlington Heights and that into and, and that neck of the woods. So uh, kudos to anybody has been able to you know buy some property uh, around the Arlington Heights uh, area. So I, I, you know, I just bought a condo in Chicago, but I definitely was like, should I go to uh, Arlington Heights? There's a lot of fun stuff there. It seems like down the line, so that that would have been my second choice uh, if I chose to go to the burbs. But yeah, very excited. I think overall.
0: Yeah. But I heard there wasn't a seven 11 near the Costco. <laughs> they <got> a Costco <laughs> Costco's they have. Yeah. I'm sure they do. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Just RIP, uh, offhand for the Arlington racetrack. Cause, uh, I went there a few times as a kid growing up, you know, seeing races and stuff. Like I always had a good time. Usually like my mom's side of the family or what have you, but, uh, anyways, um, Anyways, these developments, everything that I'm hearing, the things that we have been hearing over the last year, or so um, all kind of ramping up. This was like the second bullet on ESPN's main page, you know, yesterday. So I was like, okay, this this has to be serious because this just wouldn't make you know that kind of news and then be that big of a priority. So um, good stuff for the Bears. Um, finally, um, just you know, in Chicago, but looking at our White Sox, um, man, we. I wanted to count them out, man. I was like, "All right, this team, you know, that's that's it. Like this, these finals, you know, a few injuries and, and everything else. Like this has to be it." Um, but then there was an injury to, um, you know, the the manager uh, Tony Larusa. Um, I think it's medically related. Uh, it could be a sickness of some kind. I don't really want to opine. I don't know if there was more news on it. Um, you know, hopefully he's okay um, as an individual. But um, overall, it definitely did shake up, uh, you know, something within the dugout, um, something about the chemistry, the leadership, et cetera, with uh, bench coach Miguel Cairo uh, now taking the reins as the interim manager. Um, Last time I checked, they were two games out. I can double check that. I know they're playing the Mariners. Uh, They played the Mariners today. Um, Wayne, what do you you make of what's going on? Are there any new points that we could bring out uh, since our last episode? The White Sox.
1: Yeah, I know that the White Sox are six and two under Mel Gale Cairo. So, you know, hey, let's take especially like, yeah, if you're just two games, out. I think, you know, we're talking maybe like last episode, they were five games out. So they're, they're definitely moving up the rankings, um, which is great. So, you know, it certainly seems like there's a lot more spark to to the White Sox, especially offensively. So I'm thankful for all that. So we definitely we're definitely making the push right now. Yeah, and we, we just beat uh, the, the Mariners, it looks like, uh, beat Luis Castillo. So that's really cool that, we're, you know, that we have some momentum going on, uh, hopefully into the postseason. Uh, but, yeah, I think we're like two games out, or two and a half games out. Uh, I, I don't know if the, um, the Guardians uh, or the Twins are playing at the moment. But, no, that's really cool that we're we're moving up the rankings and we're winning. Uh, it seems like the, the team is coming around and yeah, hopefully we can make a nice push uh, going towards hopefully a playoff run. Um, you know, it's always like the hottest teams in, in baseball, I feel like uh, that, that can really make a push in the playoffs. You know, how many times have there, has there been like a wild card that just shows up hot, you know, towards the end of the season. Uh, and then, yeah, they just uh, kill it, beat beat up some, uh, some other good teams out there. So you know, I, I definitely see hopefully that the White Sox can be that team. Um, you know, a lot of the players just seem like they're playing with a lot more inspiration. So uh, and I, hey, I don't know if it's if it's Tony or whatever. I I, I think we both have been on the same page on our, our views on Tony and all that. But, you know, hey, wish him good health and everything. You know, maybe just take a backseat for a little bit longer and leave Miguel uh, with the team for a little bit, you know, maybe till the end of the playoffs. Uh, and then, yeah, just have a good time. And I think he's in Arizona. So yeah, hopefully he's doing better.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know if we were talking about this or maybe this was on our last show, but this, this felt like, honestly a way for Tony to kind of save face. This was to me, this is like his exit strategy. I think it got, you know, to a point where, um, you know, there were a few games under 500 things were obviously, you know, Moving south. Um, I just felt like, you know, not, I wouldn't say like this guy would uh, fabricate a medical, serious medical issue to, you know, get himself out of a job, but maybe like he just needed something, you know, to happen medically. And like this was just a good time for him to be like, okay, I can go take my time. You know, there's nothing else to, to really like salvage for this season. And, you know, we'll see what happens. But, you know, if Miguel Cairo takes this team and runs with it, they make the playoffs because Miguel's been. You know, kind of the vocal leader of that team or whatever he's been doing, like, I can't see them reversing back and going, you know, we're going to go straight back to La Russa. So maybe Tony will also see the good in Miguel and his, you know, ability to manage and say, okay, yeah, I've had my time in the sun. Um, you know, I'm ready to, t- you know, I'm ready to leave because he's been getting pressure from all over, not just the fans and, you know, media and everything else. But I'm sure like within the clubhouse and within the organization, there's probably been rumblings too for him. So, you know, that's, that's part one. But, um, yeah, the things, I guess, you know, it looks like, you know, Elvis Andrews coming over, you know, just playing kind of lights out baseball. I feel like he's, you know, really moved up the charts in terms of, uh, you know, guys who've been hot over the last like 14 days or so. Um, you know, when he came over, I think his batting average was around 230. I think it's getting closer to 250. You know, he's had a couple of big home runs in games recently. You know, A.J. Pollock's starting to do a little bit of work. Eloy's been kind of on fire, you know, It's driving guys in, hitting bombs. Like, I know we give him, I give him a lot of, like, flack because,
1: yeah, man, like, I'm just
0: ready to see him do that over a whole season and be consistent with it. And, uh, you know, these injuries have piled up for all these guys. But, um, you know, if they can just continue to ride it, I mean, you know, Cease almost throwing a, a no-hitter the other, you know, the other <laughs> game or so against the Twins. Um, You know, it seems like, uh, you know, Rocco Baldelli was doing everything he could as a manager to ice. Dylan sees, I don't know if you're watching, I was watching live, uh, you know, going into the top of the ninth, but, uh, man, the amount of, uh, you know, pitching changes he was making, he was having, you know, the pitching coach go out and talk to his position players who were then pitching about, you know, location. And I was like, dude, you're just trying to ice this one right now. And I know, you know, Miguel and Rocco were going back and forth about uh, one of our players getting hit earlier in the game. So there's a lot of bad blood between us and the twins. And, uh, Twins are down 4-1 to the Yankees, so we'll be evened up with them if they lose tonight. Um, but I'm just, like, I'm starting to get fired up, and, you know, probably for no good reason, like, we'll, we'll still be, you know, the AL Central uh, winner if we, if we end up making it. And then we got to go through all the other big boys, the wild card teams. Uh, Yankees are falling, but the Astros look pretty good. So it's like, you yeah, know, we're still going to be up against it. But, uh, hey, if we make the playoffs, I'll consider this, this year, a, like, a major W based on where we've been. And uh, I'll just enjoy the ride uh, the rest of the way.
1: Yeah, uh, what was that ESPN series uh, with like this dysfunctional uh, like NFL uh, quasi team or something like that? Uh, I forget what what that show was called, but it was like you know uh, uh, kind of like uh, the NFL's reality not reality TV, but like very dramatized NFL. Uh, It was kind of like any given Sunday, except for like a TV series, but it was like presented by like, uh, or it was like shown on ESPN, but yeah, like this team, highly dysfunctional, you know, uh, manager coaches going all crazy, like, and not contributing. But then all of a sudden at the end, like they're just right there for the playoffs. So, Hey, if they can make it to the playoffs and pull something off, then all is forgiven. They win, like, you know, win it all. Great. But, yeah, I mean, hey, uh if Pollock, you know, late bloomer there. Uh and it's great that a- Andrews is uh, you know, getting some reps in here and everything and uh is contributing. You know, I know we're hopefully expecting Anderson uh sometime in the next you know, a couple weeks. We'll see how he got, how how he uh progresses with his injury. But um yeah, there's a lot of momentum for the White Sox. So I'm very excited about that. And uh, yeah, it's a hell with Rocco Badelli, man. So yeah. Yeah. we are we down yeah, you are down thirteen zero. What are you talking about, like relievers or whatever? Like so, yeah, you know, yeah, Rocco
0: can suck it, man. Seriously, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, man. Well, if they make the playoffs, I'm for sure uh, gonna go out and you know have a beer, maybe a meal. Um, I don't know if you saw this piece of news, but Applebee's is now having a twelve ninety nine all you can eat boneless wings and fries deal. I don't know if you're tracking their stock, but is this company, you know, ready to file like, you know, title, uh, title, you know, title seven, uh, you know, bankruptcy or like what's actually going on with Applebee's, man, because that deal, I mean, that should put them out of business. I mean, I'm ready to go over there and eat like three pounds of chicken and a pound of fries just to like show them it's a terrible uh, business strategy.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, it's hard times. Uh, they're just maybe trying to get market share. Like, I have no idea about these chain restaurants. You know, the the suburbs and everything that uh, the suburban folk all eat and everything. But hey, man, you know, if these companies want to go out of, oh, what's that uh, game? Not GameStop. Um, uh, that one company uh, from all the movies and everything. Uh, uh, was it? Uh, not. Not a m c not uh like it was uh they had like a membership or something like that um you you know what I'm talking about like like for fifteen dollars, all you can watch uh movies something like that Damn,
0: I'm, I'm i'll I'll try to get it to come to mind but but keep going
1: yeah movie pass, movie pass, yeah it's all kind right. of like, movie pass is making a comeback too, so I feel like like Applebee's is seeing all that, and they're like hey We got to do something about, you know, the economy. A lot of people are all downtrodden, you know, costs are rising. So let's just eat up some market share. Let's put some mom pop businesses out of business and, uh, you know, just get people coming from all over the place. I think, yeah, you know, movie pass is making a comeback, which is the worst business model ever uh, then you know, Hey, maybe there's something for Applebee's for a deal like that.
0: Yeah, man. I mean, by title seven bankruptcy, I'm in chapter seven or maybe chapter 11 bankruptcy. But in in the same sense, I mean, I think you and I were talking about this, like this whole idea of these family restaurant chains that we grew up with and just how trends have changed in eating and just where people want to go, if they're going to, you know, get a meal out. I mean, usually it's like now at a fast casual or we're, you know, having it delivered or something like that. So I just, I could sense the desperation when I watched the commercial, but I was like, Man, you got me like I am going to come in there and like clean you guys out. Like just let me know the day. I mean, football season's right around the corner, like I'm all in Applebee's like take my money.
1: Yeah, if if my if McDonald's <laughs> brings back the dollar menu, all <laughs> hell is going to break loose, I feel like. It's like if you take it, yeah. If they can get if they can get those apple pies for $1, <laughs> back to $1 again, done. Like Dang.
0: Yeah. How did they take the how did they take the dollar soda off the menu? I mean seriously, that's the cheapest thing for a restaurant to to produce. How could you rip away the dollar soda? Like that's it doesn't make sense. But every all the complaints about supply chain this and that costs does not make any inflation. That does not make any sense. Like that is a uh, complete corporate greed strategy right?
1: There. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's like that that and the oil companies, man. They're like, yeah, it's the same <laughs> thing. It's the same thing. It's like yeah. Sprite's a dollar, right? Like gas. Yes, no, don't, don't make it $8. Okay. Come on. You know? Yeah. Man,
0: we're living yeah. in some crazy times, uh, man, I'm looking forward to football coming up soon here. You know, I'll definitely uh be heading out somewhere for food, you know, looking for, you know, some sort of uh, price advantage to, uh, you know, in my favor, I don't know about you, Wayne. Um, are there any other things that you've observed around the landscape of sports media, etc that caught your eye before
1: we close out dudes dudes out there that are going to baseball games uh please stop stealing balls from little girls okay uh you're a grown ass male uh don't do it you know who i'm talking about so that's all i gotta say about that got it yeah
0: I don't know if I have any other parting thoughts. I'm still kind of in awe of seeing Trevor Bauer in the flesh today. He had a, <laughs> he had a minor man, man bun going on situation, and the girl he was walking around with, I was just like, I hope she hasn't been reading the news or anything re- related to Ev- this. Evidently one. not. <laughs> <laughs> like, so, or, or she's uh yes, yeah, she, or she's uh, into stuff that you know maybe we shouldn't be talking about. So uh, I guess with that, we'll we'll close up shop here. Um, The Ball and Breakfast podcast, it's uh, Wayne Pua and Patrick Miller signing off.